0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. My middle son, Joel, is one of the happiest and most easygoing people I know. And we have a joke going in our family that that's because he got all of his angst out when he was a baby. Uh, For the first several months of Joel's life, uh, he would cry uh, every day from 5 o'clock to about 11 o'clock when we put him down at night. And he would wake up four to five times a night. So it was a pretty exhausting uh, stage in life. And we didn't know why he was crying. Uh, we would try all kinds of things to help him uh, get through, to help us get through. And I distinctly remember this time when he was four months old. A friend of our families who lived out of town uh, was visiting and dropped in to see us. And I remember standing in the kitchen with him chatting and I've got Joel in my hands and I was doing this thing because this was the thing that was kind of seeming to work at the time, um, you know, kind of rocking him a little bit up and down or whatever. And uh, my friend said to me, his kids were a bit older. He said, oh yeah, I remember one of our daughters did that when they were young. And I said, oh, um, how long did it last for? He said, oh, it was over by 18 months. (laughs) And I was like, I stifled a curse word and then I did one of those prayer, not prayers, like, please, Lord, no. You know, because we were at the four month mark and I was thinking, how are we going to get through another week of this? <laughs> Never mind another 14 months. Right When you are going through something hard, you want to know how long is this going to last, and, and what's even worse sometimes than knowing how long it's going to last is not knowing how long it's going to last. How long is this going on for? Because the milestones pass, the week, the month, the year, and you keep maybe your hopes of things changing uh, you know, keep getting crushed. Now, in our case, uh, it was a small thing to put up with, uh, given the joy and the delight of having a new baby in our home and having Joel in our life, and now we just laugh about it. But I recognize that for many of us, many of you have gone through or are going through things uh, where you can't say, oh, it came with a lot of blessing or it was a small thing in light of more joy that came along with it. You might actually say, no, this was a season. You might say, hey, I would give anything to have a crying baby in our house because you had hoped to have a child by this stage in life or you've been trying a long time to be pregnant. Some of us have gone through a prolonged season of illness in our own lives or with a loved one where the sickness just uh, persisted or it got worse, that there was just no solution and no end in sight, no diagnosis, no ability to know when and how will this ever end. Some of us maybe have experienced that in relationships where there has been conflict or we've been at odds with someone and it just isn't getting better. Maybe it's getting worse or it's getting harder. And the longer it goes on, the more it wears on us on a day-to-day basis. We've all gone through things and seasons that, that, that are hard. And the longer the season, the more challenging it is. It's actually even, uh, you know, even in this pandemic, like is a, is a season, is something that we could characterize as saying that's gone on for a long time. And we actually feel like it's gone on a lot longer than we thought it was going to go on. And every milestone, every time we think it's going to change or it gets better, something else happens. Or we solve one problem and it creates another one. This is hard for us on a number of levels, One reason is because we live in North America. And if we live in North America, this was a country in a sense founded on the idea of a better life or a new world. Many of us, uh, maybe our grandparents or our parents or we immigrated to this country to get away from difficulties and challenges that we were experiencing in our home country or our birth country. And this was a place where we said, this will be better for my children. This will be more uh, free of difficulties and challenges. We also really are, it's been 75 years as a nation since we went through a Great Depression or a world war. And this is really the first time in a sense, even during this pandemic, that we are experiencing something that has been earth shattering, that has shifted massive things that we are experiencing as a nation and as a world. And so in a sense, North America is not accustomed to this kind of challenge or difficulty, which makes it, in one sense, even harder, or at least we can see suffering or hard, hard times as an alien invasion. Like, what is this? Why is this happening? And why is this going on so long? This cannot be. Something's wrong. It shouldn't be lasting this long. Now, for people of faith, it's even more complicated. Like, we believe in a God who loves us, who sees us, who is close to us and aware of our situation and going through hard times, especially hard times that seem to last for a long time, present a whole other set of problems for people of faith. Where is God? Why isn't he coming through? Sometimes when we're in those seasons, I think well-meaning, well-intentioned people of faith say things to us that sound like faith, that even quote scripture, that sound right, and yet they hurt. (laughs) They make things worse. And here's the most, I think, uh, uh, one of the most profound realities of going through a prolonged season of hard times is something else comes along with the hard times. And in fact, the longer they go, the more likely these things are to come alongside hurt, despair, bitterness, Right? These are the things that when we are in a season, we're going through something hard. These things come alongside it eventually over time. And sometimes they can even last longer than the season of hard times does. They remain with us after we are left with feelings of hurt, and questions, despair when it comes to our faith or a sense of hope for the future, and possibly maybe most deadly bitterness, bitterness towards others how they responded or how they didn't respond to bitterness towards God of how he responded or didn't respond. And though this is understandable, and any of us that have gone through a season of hard times has also, have also had to battle with despair and hurt and bitterness, though it's understandable, we all know we don't want to have that take hold in our lives. We don't want to become people who remain or stay in our place of hurt or where despair has set in or where we have become bitter, where bitterness in a sense has taken root in our lives. There is actually an alternative. There is something else that can occur or come alongside us in prolonged seasons of hard times. It's something actually that we really admire when we see it in other people. It's something actually that deep down many of us would say, yeah, I actually want that. And yet the irony is it's something that almost can never come about unless we go through hard times. In a sense, we can't get it without going through the hard times. That something else is resilience. Resilience. Now, the word resilience... um, literally means to, in a a physical or physics sense, to recoil or to take, for an object to go back to its original shape after it's been twisted or bent out of shape. You know, we even use the phrase bent out of shape to describe how we emotionally feel towards something. Resilience is the ability to come back to, for an object to come back to the way it was supposed to be, to recoil or rebound. Now, we can even use this idea when we describe people and we say someone's resilient. Oh, they, they, they're, they bounce back. They come back. They're able to kind of, they take the hits and they keep on going. They get knocked down and they get back up again. And that's true. I think that is a sense in which resilience, um, you know, describes that dynamic of bouncing back, of rebounding. The problem is with resilience, if it's simply about coming back to the way it was or rebounding or through hard times, I think we have to be honest and say, you know what, it's possible When you go through something hard to become someone hard as a result, right? Like if resilience is just about enduring something or bouncing back, it's actually not enough because it's possible to go through something hard and you got through it, but you became someone hard through it as well. You became hardened on the inside whether that was bitterness or a detachment or a cynicism or to become non-emotional and unattached to anything uh, emotional because there was a hardness. It was a protection that inevitably it naturally comes through um, survival or persevering. And so I would submit to you that if Resil- and we don't, you know, think about it this way. We don't often admire hardness in somebody. We admire maybe toughness, but if that person is hard and bitter and detached and cynical, that's not something we go, oh, I want that, right? No, I would submit to you, if, if resilience is something we want, we need a little bit of a de- better definition than just to bounce back or to get through. And so can I just kind of give you my working definition for this and actually for this series uh, on resilience that we're kicking off today? It is not only, resilience is not only the ability to, um, to get through something, but to become someone new. Not only to get through something hard, but to become someone new. And that is another way to say to become better, not bitter. To get through something and be better, not bitter. Not only to get through something hard, but to become someone and over these next four weeks, we're going to be talking about, certainly in this season, um, where we have a chance to um, actually become people who are resilient, to become something new. We're going to be talking about what does resilience look like when it comes to our faith? What does it look like when it comes to relationships? What it looks like when it comes to our work? And what about resilience in our prayer life. And my hope and my prayer for us as a community is that we will be people, you know, that even in this season of a pandemic, but whatever season you might be going through, that we're not just people who endure and who get through something hard, but people who can become someone and a people who are new, something desirable than anything we say, yeah, I want As you know, if you've been a part of our church, every week we go through scripture together. We look to scripture that reveals to us who God is and who we are and what does it mean to be in relationship with him. That's why we use the scriptures as the story of God and the story of us and how we relate together. And it is the story of God actually healing our world. And therefore you don't have to look far when you look at scripture to find verses about hard times. It's not like I have to go, oh, well, maybe there's one or two. Why? Because it's, the, it's a long story full of so many stories where nations and communities and families and individuals went through hard times. There are so many stories of collective, like large, like big scale nations going through hard times, communities going through hard times, families going through hard times and individual stories of hard times. And so the Bible is very familiar with life like that. And where we want to begin our our journey today in resilience is really just kind of a a passage that I believe is is one of the best descriptions of what resilience looks like according to the people of God. And yet, uh, even as you listen to it read in a few moments, it's very easy to misunderstand or to get distracted and potentially misunderstand what the writer was saying and such that we miss the main point or the key or the most critical component of what this tells us about what resilience is. So I, wanna, I want you to listen as it's read, and then we're going to uh, walk through it together.
1: Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of wish- witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that that slows us down, especially the sin that is so easy to trip us, and to let us run with endurance the race of God to set us before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained this way.
0: Now, even as you heard that read, and maybe if you've read this passage before, you never heard it before. Many of us, some of us, certainly I myself, I think when I read this in the past, we can, this is what we can hear it saying. We can hear it saying is hard times come because God is disciplining, or what we would say is, is punishing. That word easily kind of comes in there like you're not who you should be or you've done some things you shouldn't and so the hard times come as kind of punishment or some of us maybe come from religious traditions where we had to pay penance things that you did and that's what the circumstances are about. That's the reason you're going through what you're going through is because God is kind of punishing you or you're getting a slap on the hand or a slap on the wrist and because things aren't quite how they should be and so God's doing that to you. Now, I understand why we can read this and think that um, there are a lot of people who would say, yeah, that's how we see hard times. Like God is, is kind of doing something to us. It's definitely a part of how uh, ancient people, certainly in the ancient Near East, but many religions view God or the gods or the forces or whatever, is that when you get out of line, you get, you get kind of slapped on the wrist. And, you know, um, like a father has to, you know, do some bad things to his kid from time to time, keep them in line, that kind of stuff. And when you get out of line, um that, that can be a, a common way we read this. And in fact, I was even listening to, um, you know, someone who's been a, a significant spiritual influence in my life on, on podcasts. They don't know me, but, you know, I follow them and help me understand a whole lot of things. But they were actually talking about the cancer that uh, they are going through right now. And they even use this words. They said, I know God brought this into my life for X and Y. So there's people, I know there's people who, who will think that way. I want to suggest to you, I think there's more to the picture. I think there's more even in this passage. Um, that if we think about it that way, we actually miss the core idea of what the writer of Hebrews is trying to describe. And so I want to unpack, I think, three really key things that if we miss them, we actually may miss what this is about. But the three things that are key to us understanding what is resilience about and what is this passage trying to say. First of all, um, I think we need to be clear to say, well, who is the source of pain and suffering and evil in the world? It is not God. God. God is not the source of pain and evil and suffering in the world. Uh, God is the author of everything good. Part of the reason we know that from scripture is because when scripture describes what the new creation is look like, when God is going to remake our whole world, it describes it as having no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more evil and God at the center. So we know that's actually what God does not delight in evil and pain and suffering and brings that into the world as part of how everything God does and made is good now and will be in the end. We also know that when Jesus came into the world, he didn't bring more pain and suffering and evil. He actually went to heal it and restore it and fight against it. But even particularly in this passage, it begins with the writer of Hebrews is talking to a group of people who are going through immense suffering because of their faith. And he points to Jesus and he says this, remember, think of Jesus who suffered uh, at the hands of other people, who, who faced opposition he says from sinners what is the source of pain and suffering and evil in the world sin our broken world and the broken ways we treat each other and even this, these people were suffering because of what other people were choosing to do so this is anchoring this source of this difficulty and opposition in the fact that they were living in a sinful and broken world and what other people were choosing to doing it was not considered oh this is a good thing it says look at jesus he endured pain and opposition from sinners And secondly, is that word that's used three times, two times about Jesus, the word endure? He says, look at Jesus. He endured and he's saying to you, you need to endure as well. And what does that word endure mean? We can think endure means just like, hold on, just hold on. Is that what endure means? And we could think that that's kind of what it means. But the question is to what? right? Resilience, is it, is it holding on? It's just to get through or hold on to the faith? What is it? Actually, the word is probably best understood as a picture of a child grabbing on to their parent when they're going through a hard time or when they're scared. That's why the writer is so careful to say, this is you got to understand God is your father. When he says endure, the Greek word that's used here actually means to cling tightly to your loving father. That's why he anchors this idea endurance in the concept of God being a loving parent. It's a child hugging, saying, Daddy. You know, you ever had a child who they're they're in a crowd of people they don't know that well and they're sort of reaching for their parents' leg. And there's always that funny moment where they grab the one next to them and then they look up and it's like, Yeah, you're not my dad, and they like, woo, right? They or you know, in the middle of the night they call out your name, they're having a bad dream, Daddy, you know, in our house. <laughs> we will say, oh, I th- I'm pretty sure I heard mommy. And will say, no, I'm pretty sure heard, heard, I, I, heard, I heard them say daddy. We're bad parents. Okay. Sorry. Forgive us. <laughs> right? It's this clinging, God, daddy, mommy. Like it's a, it's a child reaching out. And that's what Hebrew says. Cling, endure means to not just grit your teeth and get buried. Run to your loving father and grab him, hold him. He is the one who is near. This is what one uh, ancient priest commented on. He says, this is the irony. We wonder where God is when we're going through hard times and miss the fact that it is in hard times that God is most present to us. And so the writer says, hang on to God. Don't just grit and get through it. Run to God, cling to him. He is a loving parent. And it sets up actually the third and most, um, most important component of this idea of resilience that's here in this passage. Look at what verse 11 says. It says, No discipline for the moment seems pleasant but painful. Like, let's be honest. This is not good. It's not fun. Nobody likes it. It's not pleasant. It's painful. But later on, it says it produces the fruit of righteousness and peace for those who have been, catch this word, trained by it. And this I think is the most critical way to understand this idea of discipline, not as punishment, but as training. This is about training. And and the writer's saying, God can use hard times as training. It's not punishment. God is not the author of evil. You are meant to cling to him like a child clings to a parent during hard times because he is able to use hard times in your life as training. Now that Greek word discipline actually is uh, is the word paideia. And the word paideia has a few things wrapped up in it. One is this idea of learning. Paideia was the Greek reference to the idea of instruction, and not only philosophy and teachers, but even more important, the instruction or teaching that a parent gives a child. The word child, Greek word paidos, in Greek it means child. Um, And so this idea of saying, it isn't just about learning, it is the way a loving parent attentively trains or develops or teaches a child, this is learning in the context of a parental loving relationship. It's not punishment, it is development, it is training. And think about it. And, and the writer's appealing to the love, the parental love of God in this case, is saying, hey, God is treating you as a child. Because he is your parent. And we know this. A parent that does not care whether their child learns anything or grows up or matures, we actually have a word for that. That is what we would call parental neglect. And we know that's a terrible thing. Um, In fact, any of you that have uh, your grandparents or your parents or your, your aunt or an uncle, when a new child is born, what are you most concerned with, especially in those early years? Development. Are they developing properly, physically, mentally? And then as they get a bit older, emotionally, and then a bit older, spiritually, are they growing, are they developing? If you love a child, you want them to grow, to develop. That's what this word paideia means. It is the loving instruction and development that takes place in the context of a parent and child relationship. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, God is not the author of evil. You are facing opposition from sinners, but you can cling to God as a loving parent, knowing that he can use what you are going through as training. Remember we said this, resilience is not just about getting through something hard. It is about becoming someone new. And so the question is, what is the something or the someone new that you get when you go through hard times. What is Hebrew saying? Why is he saying cling to God? Hang on. God is developing and training you because training implicit in this, this idea is that you're becoming something. It's training for a purpose, for your gain. What is it that you gain when God is using hard times to train you? We're going to talk about that in a moment, but first we want to pause. The band's going to sing a song for us. Uh, just listen to it. It's got that song that describes the difficulty, the pain of going through something and yet knowing and hearing God saying, I'm with you in it. I will carry you through it. I will always be with you through it. Cling to me.
2: Just fight a little longer, my friend. It's all worth it in the- when you got nobody to turn to, just hold on and I'll find you, I'll find you, I'll find you, just hold
3: on and I'll find you. I'm hanging on by a thread, and now I'm clinging to his prayers, and every breath is like a battle, I feel like I ain't prepared, and death's knocking on the front door, pains creeping through the back, fears crawling through the windows, waiting for it to attack, they said don't get better, they get better, I'm working on switching them letters, but tell God I'ma need a whole lot of hope keeping it together. I'm smiling in everyone's face, I'm crying whenever we leave the room. They don't know the battle of the face, they don't understand what I'm going
2: through. I'm trying to heal my soul, I'm just trying to find where to go. I'm trying to remember the way, I'm trying to get back to my home, but I can do this on my own. That's why I'm just trusting in You.
3: fear haunts and pain hates. I say pain strengthens and fear drives faith. And I don't know what are the outcomes. Don't know what happens tomorrow. But when the ocean of doubt comes, don't let me drown in my soul. And don't let me stay at the bottom. I feel that this hole is too deep to climb. I've been looking for a way out. But I settle for a peace of mind. Picking up the pieces of my life and hoping that I'll put together something right. Tell me all I got is all I need. Tell me
2: you will help me stay and fight. We're trying to my song I'm just
0: Resilience is not just about getting through something hard, but becoming someone new. What is this new person, this new thing that God is bringing about in you and can bring about through hard times? Well, the writer actually says it. He says, it, 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 a discipline, training at the time is painful, not pleasant. But later on, it says it produces the fruit of, uses two words, righteousness and peace righteousness and peace. This is what comes out. This is the gain that we get when we are trained by God. First, righteousness. And the best way to describe that word, it's actually a holistic word that describes goodness. Goodness, both on the inside but a goodness that flows out into a kind of life and actions that are pure and that are good. It isn't just about being morally upstanding. We even use the word self-righteous as kind of a negative thing. Oh, you're just so righteous. You're better than everyone else. That's not what the biblical understanding of righteousness is. It's goodness throughout, goodness down to the core. In fact, goodness that starts from the inside and flows out. It's the kind of thing, you may not have used the word righteousness, but when you see people who have endured something and become someone beautiful as a result of it. You think, wow, I like being around that person. It's the goodness in them that makes you want to be around them. It's the goodness in them that makes you want to be like them. You think, I wish I want to have that in me. Hebrews says, that's what gets produced in us when we have gone through something hard and God as a loving father has used it in our lives to train, to produce something that we love and that is a blessing to other people from the inside all the way out, through and through. And then the word peace, it's not the word actually that is often translated as shalom, which means something else. Peace actually just means this idea of both rest, as in like when it's over, the, the, the peace that comes from, oh, I made it through, but also peace that, that is an enjoyment of what you gained. It's like saying, ah, I'm done, and that was worth it. I got something good out of it. That's what the piece was, um, because really actually what, what is the words that are being used here, um, it says fruit, <laughs> um, but that just means the, the results. The context, the broader context of the analogy that's being used here is actually one of training for an athlete in a race or a physical feat. It's this idea of like, the body growing in its capacity and its muscles and its strength and its ability to gain something at the end. Like that's why you run a race or that's why you compete in something, to gain a prize, to get something out of it. So that's what it's talking about as a... When you've gone through this, you are building up muscles that you didn't have before. You are using muscles you didn't use before, and you will gain something beautiful that in the end you'll say, oh, yes, and you get to rest and enjoy that, just like the victor at the end of a race or a feat gets to enjoy the prize or the rewards of their training, which was painful. And so the reality is here is that the, the, it's, it's talking about When we go through hard times, resilience is something that uh, works to develop muscles we didn't have or to engage muscles we haven't used right? And anytime you know that that's happened to you, it's not pleasant. It's painful. Like if you've done a sport you've never done before, or you used to play a sport a long time ago, you stopped playing for like 10 or 15 years and then you do it, or you haven't you know, done anything all winter and you're starting to walk or you were gardening. And all of a sudden the next day, what? your back's hurting. You're, you're like, oh my gosh, Like I didn't even know I had a muscle there or whatever. It hurts. It's painful. Why? Because you weren't using it before or you haven't used it for a while. That's the painful part of training. And yet, what is it doing? It is the more you do it, what is it doing? It is building your muscles. It is building your capacity. And you start to move past the pain and actually have new capability and new strength that you didn't have before, that you weren't using before, that you could have never had if you hadn't gone through the training. And that is the reality of what is being talked about here. It's painful, but it's not pointless and it's not useless. There's something joyful that comes at the end. Now see, it's it's understandable for us when we go through hard times to want to know what the reasons are for our suffering. Why am I going through this? And we have to be careful to say, oh, this is why you're going through it. God's training you. We have to be careful with that for a number of reasons, not the least of which is one, there's one long, very long book in the Bible. And it's a whole story of someone's immense suffering. And one of the interesting dynamics of that conversation is the guy's friends, he's asking the question, why am I going through these hard times? And the guy's friends are giving him a lot of reasons. And it's about, oh, God must be doing this or you must have sinned or all of this stuff. And in the end, God says, those friends misspoke. They misrepresented me. They didn't know what they were talking about. As they were attempting to try to give an explanation for the question, why am I going through this? God says, they misrepresented me. And you know what? There's no actually answer in the end of that book. And it's possible for us to give answers like that to people or to ourselves when we're going through hard times that in the end misrepresent God because we claim to know, oh, God must be doing this. God must be doing that. And we can actually do a lot of damage to ourselves and each other. So we have to be careful. We're looking for a reason for the hard times. Say, oh, God is doing this. I'll be honest. If I observed a lot of Christians in the pandemic and a growing sense of anger and frustration and blame and conspiracy theories and a criticism of the government, and a lot of it, I think, is actually an attempt to explain why is this happening why is this happening? And the longer it goes on, the more we want answers to that question. And yet, what can come with that is bitterness, anger, frustration, despair, or hurt as we are constantly trying to explain what is the reason for what I'm going through. And here's what I want you to hear. Training is not the reason for hard times, but it is the reason you can trust God in the hard times. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Training isn't the reason for the hard times, but it is the reason you can trust God in the hard times. It is a shift in perspective that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get the people who are going through a prolonged season of suffering to say, is saying, instead of asking, why am I going through this? Start asking this, who am I becoming through this? That's the shift. He's saying, God is not the author of pain and suffering, but I want you to see your hard times differently. Other people are choosing to do things, but God can use it to train you. And the ultimate reason we know this is true is what the writer of Hebrews keeps saying, and we actually know all the way through the New Testament. He keeps pointing back to Jesus. He says, look at Jesus. The cross of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the scriptures tell us, was a result of evil. The evil choices and the sin and the pride and the selfishness of other people and the work of the enemy in trying to kill him and crush him. And yet God used it for good. He raised Jesus from the dead. Look at Jesus. Look at what he went through. It's the same thing. It was intended for evil, but God repurposed it. He used it, not just to get Jesus through it, but to make him something new. He came out with a new body, a completely new person. And you know what's interesting about the new body of Jesus? The scars in his hands from the nails, the scars in his feet from the nails, the scar on his side from the spear that pierced him, the things that killed him, the scars were still there in his new body after he had gotten through it and become someone new in a sense, the resurrected Christ. But they did not bleed anymore. They were no longer wounds and signs of death. They were reminders of victory. They are reminders of what true biblical resilience is, that God is not just able to get us through something hard, but to make us someone And so what would it mean for you and I? You know, here's the interesting thing. We are hopefully near the end of this hard season of the pandemic. Things are starting to open up again, and we're really hoping this is over. And so it'd be very tempting for us to go, whew, glad that's over. Done. move on. But I want us to ask, what would it look like to see our present struggles and to see the season we've even been through in light of this idea of resilience, even in this pandemic, in what ways could we have been becoming new people through what we've been through? I just had a couple ideas for you. I think we could have, some of us have had a new appreciation for relationships, even as they've been taken away from us <laughs> through quarantine and um, you know, social distance and separation and lockdown. We have a new, something new has come. We value people. We, we know, man, we can't live without that. We have a new sense of solidarity with those that suffer on a regular basis. There are people for whom um, pandemics, plagues, viruses, um, you know, lockdowns, either because of war or famine or whatever, is a regular part of their lives, and it is not a regular part of our lives in, in North America. And now we have had just a little glimpse, a taste, of being able to suffer in solidarity with those that suffer around the world. I think something new that could have grown in us is a gratitude for the country we live in for the healthcare system, for uh, you know, vaccines that don't cost us anything personally to do that, that we are able to get for our kids, for our family, and things that can be delivered to us. So many things we have that we can be grateful for. I think something new is to realize that the church is more than a building or an hour on Sunday, right? That we are a people united by Jesus at the center and called to make a difference in the world together, even when we are um, severely restrained in our normal abilities to meet. We have and this isn't because of the pandemic, but it's happened through the pandemic, we need to have seen this last season as an opportunity for something new in us to become more aware of the need for justice and equality. That's something new that could have been birthed in us in this season. We could be more creative as a result of going through something hard. And we have had to need to create and think new ways about our work and about our church and about our relationships and about everything. And maybe we have a new value for slowing down. My point is this: even though the hard time has gone on longer than any of us would have wanted to or anticipated, there are still things that God has not just brought us through, but made new in us. That is what biblical resilience is. And so here's what I want you to do this week. You know, when you get new muscles, you ask a kid, hey, show me your muscle, and they're like, wee flexing, you know, trying to see, is it bigger? Is it bigger? I want you to flex in front of the mirror this week. And what I mean is reflect on this question. I think I have become more blank through this hard time. Maybe you're like, hey, I have some new muscles through this hard time. I've got some new things that have, that have come that, that have gotten bigger and better in this season for me. Or maybe you look at it and go, I've become more this. Like I have, I have muscles that have shrunk or atrophied because I haven't used them or other things that have happened that have come alongside this that I didn't want to have, that I've become more hard or cynical or bitter or critical in this season. Those are things we need to reflect on and say, because this isn't just about how am I going to get through this. It's who am I becoming through this? And so it takes some time to look in the mirror this week, to flex, to say, I think I have become more. And if you're not sure, ask somebody close to you. They probably could fill in the blank faster than you could. As we close today, I want you to listen to a story of a community of people that found themselves suddenly. Uh, and deeply in a hard, dark season that they did not know how long it was going to last and what resilience looked like in them. So have a look. story of Le Chambon and André Trucme and his church family. You can read about it in actually a book called Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed by Philip Hayy. It's a beautiful story. But you know, we can look at a story like that and think, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe they acted like that. I can't believe they were so sacrificial. They were so, um, you know, they took so much risks to protect all of those people at, at, at risk of their own death or their own you know, imprisonment. And some of them faced that. But one author noted something. He said, we could look at this and miss the fact or the reason for this community's resilience. And he said this, this was a community that for the last few hundred years before this happened, had gone through hard times. They were actually a community of Protestant people called the Huguenots, the Huguenots, who had been significantly persecuted for their faith. They had been forced to go underground as a church, to hide, to hide pastors, to smuggle them across borders to safer places, to fabricate documents and all of that to keep themselves alive. And in that season, they learned what it was to persevere so that a couple hundred years later... When the first Jew arrived at their door seeking refuge, that's why Magna Trochme said, there was no way we were going to turn them away. It didn't even occur to us. Why? Because they had become a people so accustomed to resilience. They had learned and trained and they weren't hardened because they had gone through something hard. They were actually more compassionate. They had become someone new. Not just people who were willing to take risks, but who knew how to smuggle people, who knew how to fabricate documents, who knew how to protect them from the Nazis who were trying to kill them. And this is what it made me think. Maybe for us, the most beautiful gift we could give to the next generation in this season as we have gone through and probably will continue to go through hard times is not just to get through it, but to become new people so that the current generations are prepared for whatever future resilience they will need. That when the need presents them in the moment, they won't bat an eye. They said, we know we've been through hard times before and we have become someone
2: Standing next to me There was another in the water Holding back the seeds Should I ever need reminding Of how I've been set free There is a cross that bears my burden Where another died for me There is another in the fire In the fire To all my debt All my debt left for dead beneath the waters I'm no longer a slave To my sin anymore Should I fall in the space between What remains of me And this reckoning world And I know I will never be alone There is another in the fire Standing next to me There is another